Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guest is Phil Rosenthal. Everybody loves Raymond, but we're still getting to know Phil, the hit sitcom's co-creator, who's leading us around the world thanks to his new food and travel show on PBS, I'll Have What Phil's Having. The first season wraps up November 2nd on your local PBS station. Phil spoke with me about his lack of travel as a kid, the crazy jobs he had to take when acting didn't take off, and how he learned from great showrunners how to run one himself. So let's get to it! So, Phil Rosenthal, thank you so much for being being here with me. A pleasure. <laughs> so, last things first, what was the last vacation you took that was not work-related? Well, I guess uh, my, my anniversary. I, I took my wife to Italy, and uh, we, we went with our best friends, which made it very nice because they had never been to Italy before. And it's really fun to show people, you know, who haven't been somewhere where you've been and, and, and show them around and, and see it through their eyes again. So that was a really nice thing to do. And that Plus, trip... If you're, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that trip was after you filmed uh, your show. That's I'm, right. I'm having what Phil's having. I'll have what Phil's having, yeah. So... Uh, we, we, we'd been to Italy several times, mm-hmm. plus the show. You know, we've been going since we were kids, since we were in our 20s. And now we're old. And so we... <laughs> We've been we've been several times. We we have friends there, and and it was just wonderful. We went to Venice and and Florence and Rome and the Amalfi Coast. It was fantastic. How 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 is it how is it different going on a vacation now that you've been doing it for work? Does it does it change well, the dynamic? Well, I got to of- tell you. I mean, if you've seen the show, it doesn't seem like work really. <laughs> you know it. The only work part is you do have to be at a certain place at a certain time, which you don't really have to do on vacation unless you're, you know, you're taking a tour of something or have a reservation. Right. But I, I got, I think it was Mark Twain who said, "Make make your vacation your vocation." Mm. And I think I've done that. You, <laughs> you've taken that to heart, and and yeah. from, from what I from what I gather, the the title of the of the show on PBS was was kind of fortuitous because you came up with it while you were at Katz's. That's absolutely true. Uh, we, we were going through different titles mm-hmm. and uh, a friend of mine had suggested that, that whenever they go out to eat, they, they ask what would Phil order? And, and I thought maybe that's a good title. It's almost like, what would Jesus do? Right. <laughs> so he would, he I would that around. <laughs> of course he would, yeah, he would, yeah, tur- yeah. he would turn the, the, he would make bread and, and fish out of nothing. True, he's very handy. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I sent that around to some friends along with some other titles, and somebody said, "No, not what Phil or but I'll have what Phil's having." You know, take on that on that famous line. Right from when Harry so Potter. You're not going to believe this. I'm sitting at a deli in New York with my brother. I show him the title. I'll have what Phil's having, and he says, "That's got to be it. That's funny and it's good." And we all know what movie that's referring to just then the the waiter came over with the bill and he said oh you're at the lucky table and i said what do you mean and over our heads was a sign literal sign that we hadn't seen until he pointed up and we look at it and it says 
at this very table, Harry met Sally, and the famous line was uttered, I'll have what she's having. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of meant to be. I think you got to call the show that. Right. You have, I'll to, have what you have to obey the signs that you, the universe is giving you. Literally a sign from above. <laughs> How how does it feel now? Because uh, the the last actually actually the first time I saw you was the most recent time I saw you. Uh, you were at a, a screening of exporting. That's usually how it works. <laughs> you were you were presenting a screening of exporting Raymond at yeah. uh, at the Friars Club. And that oh. and that was probably so that was probably your other significant on screen credit until now, right? You're exactly right. That's right. And it was from that that PBS saw it and they they like the they said we like the idea of you going places and i said so does my wife <laughs> what did you have in mind and they they said well what do you have in mind and i said well i have this fantasy what if i had a show mm-hmm. where every episode i go to another great place on earth and i show you where to eat as as a way of getting you to travel and they say we've been looking for a show that has food and travel and humor in it. We've been looking for that for years. I said, I think I'm your guy. How how does how does this measure up to whatever dreams you may have had of of being on camera or, or being an actor when you were uh, a teenager in high school and in school productions? That's a great question. I can honestly tell you, it surpasses every dream. Because when you're an actor, you're playing somebody else. You're you're. And you've got to learn lines, and it's you know there's a certain nerve-wracking uh, element to it. Mm-hmm. You know, what if you forget your lines? What if you're not a good actor? What if you're, here I'm just me? I'm doing what I love. It couldn't be more natural. It's it's completely what you see. My enthusiasm is real. There's no artifice at all, and I love that. And and, so, yet, well, and yet very the, lucky. The initial goal for you, though, when you were younger, was to be an actor, or was it? Yeah, what was I thought? I thought I just I just wanted to be funny on screen mm-hmm. or on stage. I just you know when you're a kid and you watch television, like me, you don't know that there's writing and directing and producing and editing and all that stuff. You just see the, the people on screen on TV. I want to do that. So I was in the school plays, and then I went to college for that. I was in the school plays there, and then I moved into New York, and I. I Hardly worked at all because they didn't care I was in all the school plays. Mm. <laughs> and uh, your, yeah, your 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 headshot and 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 resume did not uh, dazzle them. It it really didn't. Hmm. And so I, it, I it so was what did you do? For, it, it was hard for me to get any auditions at all. So I had all kinds of odd jobs, and and uh, you know I sold my first job. I think was selling farm and implement cleaner on the phone. Mm cold falling farmers in the Midwest. That was always pleasant. Their reaction was always wonderful. <laughs> what, <laughs> they what, love being disturbed while they're working <laughs> to listen to some idiot from New York try to sell them crap. Had you had, you had any experiences on farms as a child? <laughs> the it, farms of New York, you mean? Yeah. The farms of New York? The, no, no. Fre- fresh, uh, fresh, meadows no queen, fresh Meadows Queens? Nothing, no. Flushing meadows. I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just was trying to just trying to make a living. And then I went from that. I went to being a guard at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, where Ooh. I was fired. I was fired for falling asleep on a three hundred year old bed. That's absolutely true. Wow. Then I was a uh, uh, worked in a deli, mm-hmm. and I 
I was a bartender. I had all kinds of odd jobs and temp jobs, all while trying to do my little shows in New York and stuff. And finally, some friends of mine and I wrote a show for ourselves to be in, which seemed to be the ticket. And that was successful. And suddenly I was a writer. And then I moved to Hollywood and then I became a writer and I, you know, worked on lots of different shows for about five years. And then I met a comedian named Ray Romano and I created Everybody Loves Raymond. The end. <laughs> the end. And then, and now I have a food and travel. What, what That's was, how you do it. What? That's how you do it. <laughs> you make it sound so easy, so swift. That's it. Just do all those things and then you can have the food and travel show too. What was the last day job you had? The last day job? Yeah, the last one before you before like you sold real, the last... before you sold the script and the show and, and said I'm in show business now. What was that? You're obsessed with what the last thing is. I'm ob- I, whole thing. I'm obsessed with well the show is last things first, but I'm obsessed I get it. I'm obsessed with the transition. Like comedians are my superheroes and I want to know their origin stories. When did ah, you when did you get well, your like superpowers? A... You know, when were you bitten uh, by the spider? How did how did you become no longer Phil Rosenthal, bartender, deli worker, uh, security guard, sleeper of beds, yeah. three hundred year old? I think beds. I, I got a job. I got a job for a while in New York for a small movie company mm-hmm. because I when I was in I've always loved movies and I I uh, when I was in college I ran the program board film series at Hofstra University, which you know got movies from the studios to run for the kids on campus every weekend. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was very into it. And then it suddenly hit me, instead of these odd jobs, why don't I get a job selling movies to the kids in college mm. from the other side? Since I know how the college side works, I know how the other side works. And I got that job. And I did that for a few years, actually. All the while, you know, doing little plays that paid nothing and little shows in New York Mm -hmm. until we wrote this thing for ourselves. And that was really the ticket. Pat and I wrote a screenplay with a friend of mine at the same time. And that, we sold that. And I went from being a hundred air to a thousand air. How, how, how influential was your um, childhood friendship with Alan Kirschenbaum then? Say that again. I'm sorry. How influential was your childhood friendship with Alan Kirschenbaum in, in, cultivating your own career well it's funny you say that because he when i i said i wrote a screenplay with somebody that it was him okay he was the one who, who showed up at my house in 1987 with a blue and gray metal box and said let's write a screenplay it was a word processor and, and we we he had an idea for a screenplay i said why do you why do you want to write it with me i don't know anything about writing and he said you're funny and i know the rules of writing the structure mm-hmm. and we can do this and we did it and H- he was the one who encouraged me to be a writer was he already so he was w- tremendously he was already a writer yes and i knew him from high school okay. i know him since you know i'm 15 years old so what do you, what did he see in you that you hadn't seen in yourself that i could write yeah he thought he thought if you're funny like if you're funny not just on stage but in life you're coming up with funny things to say that aren't written for you, mm-hmm. which means you you must be writing them. You're not writing them down, but you're writing them in your head before we speak, right? We're all writers. We all write what we're going to say when we say it. Right. Some we're, of us are better. Right. We're all writing our own life narrative. 
You got it. But you got it. That's what writing is. You're writing for a character that happens to be you. So what was that first uh, screenplay that you and Alan wrote and were able to sell? It was a, a it was a, a story about a suburban detective, and we set it in our town that we grew up in in Rockland County, mm-hmm. where we went to school, uh, which we knew the town very well. We even had a guy that we based it on, a guy that lived up the street, and we named it after him because we thought he had a funny name, Millard Shulman, ah. and we called it we called it Shulman. And this man was not a detective. We just thought it was a funny character for a detective, someone like that. Miller. We wrote it with Alan Arkin in mind, the actor. Right. Who we <laughs> that, love. Oh, that, oh, that Alan Arkin. That Alan Arkin, okay. yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, it was never made, but it was bought for thousands of dollars, and, and we were thrilled. We couldn't believe it. Is, is is that when you realized the true power of show business, that you could make money making things that never saw the light of day? Uh, that's not the goal. Obviously, <laughs> no, it's not the goal. When we were disappointed when nobody made it, but it was still you know all I needed to say, hey, look, you just made in one second. You know, it took a few months to write the script, but yeah. you sold it, and suddenly you had money to eat. This was a big revelation to me. Right, script, yeah, selling a script, getting a development deal. Those, yeah. are all, those are all things that the industry trades pay a lot of attention to. And, and now that we have, the internet is so much deeper now than it ever was. We, we all, people like me who pay attention to comedy know a lot more about comedians who are getting development deals or script deals. And we cheer them because we know that means money. That means they don't have to worry for the next year or two of their lives, even even if the show well, never gets made into a pilot or greenlit to a series. It's a big it's deal. Something that everyone, it's something that everyone can relate to. Right. If you're struggling and suddenly you get a job that pays well, your life changes, no matter what the field is. Yeah. Before, before meeting Ray, though, you worked, uh, you worked on Coach. I did. I worked there. That was someone else created that, a man right. named Barry Kemp. And I was a uh, I was a writer on that show for three years. Did did you did you have mixed feelings then with uh, with the the potential reboot of that that Barry and, and Craig were were trying to put together? I was very happy for them that they were getting to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry it didn't go. So that that is those if, are those uh, are the know, mix, they, the, those are the mixed emotions. You were, you were happy for them and then sad. You got it. Those were my mixed emotions. I had no, you know, um, uh, I I was rooting for it to go because they're my friends and and I wanted them to succeed. It also meant that if that went, that meant that older characters were going to be welcome, right? And right. Th- and that's I like to write. I like to write those. I like to write older characters, mainly because I'm not a kid and I don't think that I should be writing kids. As, as main characters. Right. There are kids who can write kids. When I say kids, I mean people in their 20s and 30s. <laughs> those, yeah, those are definitely kids now. To me. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, I see plenty of people who are stand-ups, and certainly Ray uh, Romano was among them, stand-ups who, who, who get on screen. But you never, you never, you never really took stand-up as a, as a, as nope. a career choice? Nope. Nope, did it once when I was 19. I, I was a nervous wreck. <laughs> tried it one 
night, exactly one night. Where was that? In Nyack, New York. Okay. It was at, it a, at a little jazz club. It was, you know, it was amateur night. You could get up. It was a, it was so awful because I I've been used to doing plays where everybody looks at you. This was a jazz club with a bar, and the bar never stopped talking ever. <laughs> and the the few tables in front could barely hear you. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, you know, you get that flop sweat on the back of your neck and oh, everything. Yeah. I think my my material wasn't terrible, but mm-hmm. I never wanted to do it again. Even even hearing stories from Ray or from Mike Royce or from anybody else you've worked with? I would venture to guess that the comedians that you see, mm-hmm. that you've heard of, they had good first nights. Something, something, something to compel them to continue? Exactly. It's like, it's like when, you, when you play a round of golf mm-hmm. the first time, you know, the powers that be, whatever it is, whether you believe in God or fate or whatever it is, Something conspires to make you have a good one, and that's how it hooks you. And then you, you ch- friend, spend the rest of your life in utter frustration. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually, uh, I, I think golf is probably the most apt comparison to stand-up comedy. Because you think? no matter how good you are, you're always complaining about how bad you think you are. And there's always room to get that. better. But I, I think there's more control actually in stand-up comedy than there is in, in golf. Golf seems like when they ask when people ask me why don't you play, I say because mm-hmm. life's frustrating enough. <laughs> I have to worry about getting a little ball in a hole a yeah. mile away. That's insane. But when you do it, it's the same thrill of of yes. the immediacy of laughter. Yeah, I guess so. And when you I tell so. when you Ray, ta- by the way, Ray, if you talk to Ray, he would give up comedy to be a great golfer. <laughs> That's how insidious it is. Yeah, it is insidious. They're both insidious because once you feel yep. the taste of comedy, you can't. Yep. You can't let go of it. No, he he never let go of it. Even when we were filming our show, and he was a big star on TV, he still felt the need to get up and do stand up, and still does. Yeah. Uh, when you when you met with Ray, how many how many other people were were vying for his attention when he got his deal with through Letterman? I think that he met with a dozen guys, and I don't think I was the first choice. <laughs> Why do you say that? Did he tell he you that? Told me. <laughs> <laughs> he liked telling me that. By the way, I have a story for him too. Yeah. When we were casting the rest of the actors, mm-hmm. I got a call from Scott Bayo. Remember Scott Bayo? I yeah, he was Chachi. He was Charles. Scott. He was other yeah, he, other names that start with right. Cha. Yeah, That's Scott right. Bayo. He called me. Mm-hmm. I never met him, but he said, hi, I understand you're casting a show called Everybody Loves Raymond. I said, yes. He said, I'm interested in the part of Raymond. <laughs> I said, oh, I uh, actually have a Raymond, but I uh, would tell Ray, mm-hmm. you know, you better be good because I have Scott Bale waiting. <laughs> did, <laughs> how, did, how did Ray take to those threats? He, he ignored them as they should be ignored. Mm. What, what do you think? What do you think sold Ray on you then, or how did you sell yourself to him? I think the first guy, the first guy said no. Yeah. And, or was busy, and and uh, we really did hit it off. I mean, we 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 are very similar in type in that we're both from Queens, although mm-hmm. I didn't know him in Queens. And even though he's Italian and I'm Jewish, that's not a huge difference. You know the the. 
all problems are solved with food, and the mother never leaves you alone. <laughs> There's food, mothers. Uh... You got it. So we had these stories in common, and for every story he had, I had about my family, and, mm-hmm. and the show's really, uh, you know, based on his actual life, and then kind of filled in with personalities from my family that could, because uh, I didn't know his family. Mm-hmm. What? How? How? How tight knit was was your family? Very. They still are. If you watch the new show, mm-hmm. you see that I Skype with my parents every show. Do they? Do they get jealous that they're not on the trips? No, they're fine. They're old. They <laughs> like their apartment. But I have taken them on trips. Yeah, I've taken them on many many trips. Yeah. How how do those trips compare with the trips they took you on when you were a child? That's a great question. We didn't go anywhere. <laughs> we went to Cape Cod one weekend. Yeah. We went to Cape Cod weekend, and we went to Miami, Florida, for one week because a friend of theirs had a condo mm-hmm. that was open. So we did that, and and I begged. I mean, begged when I was twelve years old to go to the newly opened nineteen seventy two. Disney World, which uh, didn't yeah. even have a world. It didn't even have, it wasn't even as big as Disneyland at that time when it opened. Right, the one was, in Florida. It wasn't opened. even a full, wasn't even a full Magic Kingdom. No. No. What, what but it, it was, as I told my mother at, mm-hmm. on that day when I was 12, I said, this is the best day of my life. And, yeah. what, and, what, did, and what did your parents say? My mom said, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's how much I love traveling, even then, and being exposed to new things. Yeah, I guess if you grow up not having done it, you're very excited when you do. Yeah, just you... like food. <laughs> well, food you food you can get excited about on a daily basis because you you need to. You don't need to. But I get to I get instant. a little I get a little more excited than most people because I think. I didn't have a lot of great food growing up. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't a priority. We didn't right. have a lot of money, and it just wasn't a, you know, something that mattered. And so when I left that house and was exposed to new things, I was I went out of my mind. It was like when Dorothy opens the door in in The Wizard of Oz, and suddenly the world's in color. That's what it was like. Wow. So this so this show for you is really kind of a we, uh, second childhood, a reawakening of everything that you wanted when you when you were a teenager and couldn't get. I think, yes, I think that's a good way of looking at it. Hmm. I, it, it that explains my excitement, maybe, my enthusiasm. And that explains why it, it's a perfect title, because I, I would have what you're having. Well, that makes me very happy. That I really do. It's not just for me to have fun. When I, when I got the show, I realized this can't just be me enjoying myself. What's the point of me enjoying myself? Mm-hmm. The point is to get you motivated, to get you to come, to get off the couch. I think when we watch Anthony Bourdain, who's a superhero to me. <laughs> his stomach uh, his stomach has to be a superhero. Well, he's just, you know, he's, he's adventurous and he's macho and he's everything. I, I'm telling people I'm exactly like Anthony Bourdain if he was afraid of everything. <laughs> but he... He's, a, you know, someone to aspire to be. Mm-hmm. I think people look at me and they say, if that putz can go outside, maybe I can too. <laughs> you're, you're inspiring legions of couch potatoes to get I hope off the so. couch. I hope so. And, I, I, you know, I know we, co- we can't all afford to travel uh, at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
But I make a case in, in, the, in the show that's on Monday night, I make a case for uh, traveling in your own town. You can travel in your own town. There's a, there's a neighborhood of cuisine you haven't tried yet that's just waiting for you to taste it and see maybe you'll like it. You know, we're not children. We don't have to like every bite of food that we have, but I think it's good to try it just for the sake of trying it. That's worth it in, in and of itself. Right. Did you, knowing that this is a, you know, a, a travel series, it's not a sitcom, did you write this? Did you write it like a season finale or a series finale, or did you? How did you approach the end of the first season? Uh, very simple. I knew that after you've been, if this is the first season, and we're doing six episodes, mm-hmm. and the first five are going to be international. They wanted all of them international, by the way, because they can sell them internationally. Right. I said I got to do one domestic show because I want to show people that they can travel in their own town. Now, I I also happen to think that Los Angeles, at the moment, not trying to make trouble, (laughs) but I believe this, that Los Angeles is the best food city in America at the moment. And and I make a case for that as well in the episode. You'll see why. Okay. Yeah. And uh... I also have, there's another reason to keep it last. Okay. I have a lot of celebrity guest stars in the show because uh-huh. that's where they live. Right. That's where they are. And so if you started with that, people might expect guest stars every week and they weren't going to get them. Will, will Scott Bale so make I an appearance? I didn't want to disappoint. What's that? Will Scott Bale make an appearance? In my heart. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know he's ready. He's ready. To, he's ready to jump in. I did. I did have Ray in the show. You'll see Ray. Okay. Uh, and you know, while we were, I was walking with Ray, I was thinking, you know, if he, Ray isn't good at eating, I could get Scott Bale. <laughs> uh, what season would it be where uh, uh, you take your parents to Orlando and take them? I don't to, think take that's going to happen. I, I think they're they're not really interested in going anywhere. <laughs> not even Walt Disney World. Now that it's fully built up now. They, listen, they, that was a huge, uh, that was a giant sacrifice they made for their children. They wouldn't, they, they wouldn't be caught dead in such a place oh. without us. Yeah. What? Wh- that's not for that's not for old parents that come from the old country. Right. They, they were they were not crazy about any. They weren't actually crazy about any real pop American culture. My mom likes the opera, the ballet, the theater the occasional foreign film. You know, mm-hmm. these are not people who were going to enjoy rock and roll and candy, you know, things mm-hmm. like that people like. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, if you're in New York City, you have all of that, a train ride yeah. away, anyhow. You got it. What's, what's the last uh, great bit of advice you've received from, from someone else? I'm going to tell you the best advice I ever got. Okay. Because that's the one that stays with me. Right. Yeah. What's what stated? A great showrunner, a great showrunner named Ed Weinberger, who I worked for early on, said this to me when I was making my show. Do the show you want to do, because in the end, they're going to cancel you anyway. So you you can live your life that way. Right. You know, we all get canceled one day. Hmm. Hold on one second. They're knocking at my door. Yeah. Well, I guess. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to be another hour. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Turn down service. <laughs>
Oh. They got me in the hotel. <laughs> and I turned, you know, it's nice when you get to turn down yeah. the turn down. <laughs> that's, that's when, you, that's when you, you have the power. Now I have the power. I turn yeah. you, you don't turn me down. I turn you down, <laughs> turn down. <laughs> I like how I like how that happened. Just as you were saying, sometimes everybody gets canceled in life, That's and then it. you and then you shut them down. Uh, I it, shot her down. Shot her down. I'm that, very sorry. Is that also uh, the same advice you would give to to any young uh, would be writer, producer, actor who comes to you? Is or, or do you tell them something different? The kids, the kids who come to you. I give them that advice. I give them that advice, and yeah. I tell them, you know, one more thing: always quit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's a good place to quit with you. So, <laughs> Phil, I thank you so much for taking some time with me. I enjoyed talking to you. You take care. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right. Bye bye. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. first.